Hello everybody, I'm Dave. And I'm Dougie. And welcome to our podcast dedicated to all things tabletop role-playing games. Each week we bring you the latest news coming out of the tabletop role-play gaming world, along with tips, tricks and advice on any and all areas of this wonderful hobby. We will also be getting together with some of the players from our own games to get their input on the week's sessions, getting inside scoops on their characters, predictions for where each game is heading and much more in a segment we like to call Tavern Talk as well as answering any questions from you, the listeners. So, sit back. And relax. This is Dungeon Drift. Okay, hello Dougie. Hello Dave. Week Uh, five. Yeah, week five, five episodes. Only gone quick though it's over a month that's that's scary and we the big thing is we've done it every week i know they haven't always been released on time because you know i'm lazy and i keep forgetting um however do you not find that each episode goes really quickly though we're sat here recording and it and we find out that oh an hour's gone past we we should probably wrap this up now yeah and ironically it's you that points it out and says we have to cut it short soon (laughs) yeah yeah so this week we have our guest ryan who will be introducing shortly he's one of the players that again both of our episodes um we are going to be talking to him a little bit about his characters and what motivates him in role-playing games and things like that uh we're also going to be sorry cool yeah and in addition we're going to discuss things like player burnout character burnout uh dm burnout and we have our first listener question. Was that was that supposed to be a drum roll? That yeah, you can insert that later. <laughs> Cut it out and insert a real drum roll. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, we have our first audience question. Um, email emailed to us. The email address actually got some activity as well. Um, and uh, that that should do it for this episode. So I think we'll get Ryan in now. So I will go ahead and do the whole. Hello, Ryan. Hello, how are we? I'm very good. How are you? Lovely. Yes, very well, thank you. Good. Um, Welcome to Dungeon Drift. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So why don't you give us a little bit of information about um, who you're playing in which of the games? Yes. So in your campaign, Dave, I am playing John Bovey who is a halfling bard. I've called him John Bovey because I based him on a rock star, a typical American cocky, just wants to do it all, everyone knows his name sort of thing. Um, I'll be honest, out of all the characters I've played, he's quite possibly one of my favourites, um, mainly because I've done the most amount of roleplay with him. And then in Dougie's campaign, I am playing... Wild Waters, a tabaxi rogue. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's good fun. He's a uh, he's a typical cat man. Nights knocking things over and running around in the middle of the night for for no reason. <laughs> I actually really like your 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 tabaxi character because, as you said, you are really just playing a cat that can talk, and it's really quite <laughs> yes, funny. She's like, I'm going to walk up to that thing and just knock it over. Why? Because I can. Simple as that. And uh, what about Traveller? 
Oh, of course, Traveller. Yes, uh, I am playing a criminal guy who grew up on a planet with a very bad atmosphere, and because of that, he wears a breather everywhere he goes. He's pretty much of a... doesn't specialise in any skills, but he hasn't... He, he can do, do a little bit of everything sort of thing. Jack of all trades. Yeah, almost. Fantastic. Sounds like a very uh, eclectic mix of characters there. Um, so, what got you into roleplay gaming in the first place? It was actually a, uh, a friend of mine that I used to, to live with. I used to house share. And um, one day he came up to me. I'd never really considered tabletop games. I, I knew of them. I knew D&D. And I, uh, but he said to me one day, do you want to play some Dungeons & Dragons? I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And uh, hooked ever since. Is it just Dungeons & Dragons? Um, obviously, you play My Traveller as well. Um, yes. Any other systems? At the moment, it is Traveller and, and uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. I'd like to uh, to give Call of Thulu a try. Uh, the last group I played with, they had a uh, Call of Thulu campaign that they played when I was uh, otherwise occupied. Okay, fab. Um, what interests you in Cthulhu as opposed to D and D or Traveller? Uh, um, I think it's more the. I'd like to. I'd like to try all the different different RPGs, and uh, I think it's more the horror and the. Uh, it, it's it's not modern. I think it's nineteen twenties, isn't it? That it's set, um, but I think it's more more our time period, and you can you know it's gangsters and that that side of it. So, so very much the um, the genre rather than the the system itself. Yeah, I, I I don't know much about the system. I'll be honest. It's a percentile system, so it uses two d tens, and instead right. of rolling to achieve a number, the idea is you need to roll under a number. Oh, okay. Um. So, for example, um, spot hidden is the the go to perception roll, if you like, in Call yeah. of Cthulhu. Um, and let's say you've got a uh, sixty uh, sixty points in <clears throat> excuse me uh, sixty points in your spot hidden skill. You would need to roll sixty or below on your percentile dice. Right. Okay. But the, the further below you That's get, the better you are. So you you've got scaled yeah. levels of success. Yeah, uh, much much like traveller then. A lot like traveller. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. much so. Yeah. Good. So. Um, you're going to be DMing your first campaign soon, I hear. Yes, really looking forward to it. In our circle of players, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Um, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So the actual published D&D module. Yeah, well, I had the idea that I quite like pirates. I mean, who doesn't like pirates? So I thought I'd like to do a, a nautical-themed campaign. And then I heard of Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and I, I I had all these these ideas floating around. Uh, when I I bought the book and read it, I goes, "This is basically fits in exactly what I wanted to do." Uh, it's actually several separate adventures from as far back as nineteen seventy something that they've they've put together, and you you basically have to to link them together and make make your your story out of those. So it's it was perfect for for me. Brilliant, fantastic, and. Sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Are you, are you running that exactly as by the book, or are you adding a bit of your own flair and a bit of homebrew to that too? 
there's yeah there's there's a fair amount of home route um some of the ideas that i had they go so where, where can I, where can i fit this in and uh i actually found the book a lot of it was was quite repetitive um without without giving too much away for you guys because you'll, you'll be joining the campaign but you'd go into one place and, and do this and then you'd go into the next place and do basically the same thing like early um, world of warcraft <laughs> i wouldn't know wouldn't know uh, but it's very great at the beginning <laughs> that's a different story yeah. Yeah, so I thought actually a lot of a lot of the homebrew that I wanted to do, I'll go right, I'll use that particular story as a basis and just chop and change what I need. Mm. Excellent. So when you were coming up with your pirate themed campaign idea, did you consider pure homebrew or were you specifically looking for something um printed and then to adapt? At the time, yeah, I, I wanted all homebrew because I ha I literally had so many ideas. I've never had so many ideas for for a D and D game, um. So I just wanted to do homebrew. But as a first time DM, I I did plan a, a bit of a one shot, and I was like, mm, maybe it's maybe for my first one to use something published. But then, as I say, I got got the book and everything seemed to fit in really well with with the ideas I had anyway. Excellent. You mentioned um, a one-shot. Is that uh, something that's published as well that you've taken, or is this all your own? No, that is that is my own homebrew. I, I had the idea a number of years ago and just never never got around to doing it. I thought, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll give it a go now. Can you give us any spoilers from it, or without giving it too much of a way? Because, again, we're playing in that. All I can say is that you're you're contracted to look for a guy who's gone missing. He's 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 the town hunter, so he goes out daily to, to hunt. But he always checks in, and, okay. and he for one day it's not not very long, but for one day he doesn't check in. That's all I can say. Really. Okay, okay, that is. What is your favorite class or race or both to play? Ooh, D &D? that is interesting. Um. Possibly Bard. Yeah. As I say, John Bovey's probably been one of my favourite characters to play just because he's he's the most amount of role play that I've done in a character and I think he's he's kind of an extension to myself. A little bit cocky but kind of reserved in the on the inside. So yeah, I'd say Bard my favourite class. In terms of race, I'd maybe say Orc. Mm-hmm. Only because I I think orcs are just badass. <laughs> They've got got something about them that I just like. I can't explain it. Brilliant. What about um, favorite class or race that you've seen played? Not necessarily yours. That's that's a tough question to be honest. Um, I quite liked. Uh, the, the monk character that we've we've had recently that that was a that was a good laugh friday slash thursday slash whatever day <laughs> slash wednesday <laughs> yeah yeah that's I, I quite like humorous characters um i'm always up for the comedy so yeah for that one for me so far has it's been quite good fantastic and obviously you've, you've played in both of our campaigns and you've done a little bit before um 
joining Dave's. What's the most memorable moment in any RPG that you've been involved in? If somebody says to you, why should I get into D&D or into an RPG? What moment comes into your mind that can that you can say to them, this happened to me and it was the best thing ever? Because you can jump onto the back of a giant spider and stab it in the back. Brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. So ba- basically, just to give some context to that, it was in my Out of the Abyss game right at the beginning where you guys actually started the campaign at level five because you came from Lost Mine of Fandelva. We did, yeah. Um, you were locked in Velkenvelve, the drought outpost in the Underdark. You managed to get out the cell. Um, spoilers for anybody listening who hasn't played in that campaign yet, so just don't listen to this bit if you're going to be playing in it. Um, you, <laughs> you, you should were, have said that before. Yeah, probably. You were you, you were aided in in escape by one. Was it Shaw Vandry? Uh, one of the drow. Yeah, yeah. Um, like and deer. And colors deer helped as well. Um, Shaw kind of left the gate open for you to escape. Uh, you were spotted during a, uh, a demon attack on the outpost, and everyone decided to come after you. And they had giant spiders. The the high priestess was there, but because she got killed quite quickly, uh, Lolf. Uh, the god of the drow decided to to shame her and turned her into a drider, which is half drow, half uh, giant spider. You know, drider. That's really creative. And John Bovey decided to jump on the back of it. <laughs> how how close were you to dying at that point? Pretty close. I'm pretty close to taking uh, another character out with yeah. me. <laughs> I think Evandor was closer than uh, John Bovey, to be honest. At one point, yeah. He was, yeah. He's, he had some near misses, didn't he, Evandor? Yeah, both, <laughs> um, a lot of them seem to involve very big falls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was a good moment. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that that was fun as well. And that, again, that was totally homebrew. That was not it part was. of the book at all. And it was using imagination to make yeah. something... It was more, all th- more exciting. It was all done theatre of the mind as well, that one, wasn't it? Because I, I, yeah, I, I can imagine Ryan going to our theatre of the mind versus uh, maps and tactics, if you like, um, conversation we had a few weeks ago. Would you have seen that opportunity if we were playing on a, an actual map? No, no, yeah. absolutely not. I was, I was pretty far back in the group, and. Uh, I just thought, what can I, what can I do here? I thought, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm a bard. I have a, I have good, good acrobatic skill. I'm very good at jumping around. So I thought, yeah, let's give this a try. Brilliant for a halfling, that is. Yeah, halfling. Yeah. If, if I remember correctly, Dave, um, we got to the point where people were losing track on where was where, and you created very roughly a hand-drawn map just to finalise the battle. Yeah, I did. Um, it wasn't to scale. It wasn't a case of put your figure, put your minis on this or put your tokens on this. We were on roll 20 at that point. Um, it was just a, this is a rough outline of where you are. Uh, use it for reference, which I think going forward now in my games, I'm going to start doing because um, this is going to segue into our next topic, which is the burnout bit. But recently I've been suffering from major burnout. And I think a lot of that is because of having to program into Roll20 
as well as writing my session for the for the week, making sure all the players know what's going on for the week, it became a lot. And I, and I I very nearly this week jacked it all in and was like, nah, I'm not running this anymore. Let's let's do something else because it was just becoming too much. So I think going forward now, I'm going to try and theatre of the mind everything. It's less work on me. It's less, I don't know, it's less things interfering with the game as well. It, it, it doesn't, it's not as much bringing you out of the game and in, onto a board, if you like. No, and as I mentioned earlier on, it also gives the players more imagination to throw stuff in there that as a DM you can say yes or no to, but you wouldn't have necessarily considered or they wouldn't have considered seeing a map. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are your thoughts? Clear of mind on maps, Ryan? I think there's um, there's a place for both. I think, as I say with the, the Droider scene, I would never have thought of that, having, having it in front of me. But at the same time, sometimes I like to know the positions of everyone so if i to make my mind up who am i going to attack for me i'd attack the person closest to me in, in you know if it was real so sometimes having a map and having minis or tokens really helps me go right he's there he's there so i'll attack this guy doesn't doesn't that in a way feel meta rather than just saying to the dm who's closest to me i'll go for them because actually you might say well my friends are attacked by three people over there. So I'm going to ignore the person closest to me and try and help them out. Whereas actually, yeah. as, as you've said, under a normal fight, you'd go for the person closest to you. Yeah. So, some might, some might mess a game with that. I mean, I, I don't, I try not to mess a game. So as I say, if, if one person is, is being attacked, one of my allies. Could it be argued that because you can physically see the map, as the player, and you're using your own player knowledge, could that be argued then that using maps and tokens and minis in general is metagaming? If if you use that information to benefit you as a character. Well, as if you would stick to what your character would do normally, uh, and we've seen it before in some of our games, um... Uh, a perfect example was when we done your Out of the Abyss uh, again. Uh, and we went into the dungeon where, spoiler, uh, a legendary sword was hidden. And I disagreed with what was going on. And I went to leave that, that area, um, but it was sealed. The door was closed. I, I couldn't leave. So I stayed up there. I stayed by the door. Uh, a big fight ensued, and I could have gone down there three four rounds before i actually moved and i didn't no and i yeah i suppose that means you know you as a player could see the, the the fight going on but you as a character could probably hear all these random noises going on but couldn't see what was happening yeah and actually i think i played him he was so depressed anyway and disappointed with what was going on he sort of went into a bit of a, a trance didn't he because even the uh, the wolf couldn't snap him out of it yeah yeah i think it really depends on the player because for for, for me most of us we, we hate metagaming i think it takes the fun out of it so as as dougie says you know if, if my character sees my ally being attacked by three other people that's what my character is going to do but so yeah i think i think a lot of it does depend on depend on the player Okay, so 
player, character, and DM burnout. Let's move on to this section now. Been there. Give me, both, give me. So go on both then. Both times. Give me, give me an example of what player burnout is. So player burnout, I, I found typically is those players that are struggling to um, get crammed so much DM into their or so much D&D or whatever tabletop game they're playing into their week that before they realise it, their week is completely taken up by sessions, gaming, prep, thinking about the next session. Um, and they don't actually give them time for themselves, for family. Um, uh, I've been there. I've been there. I've gone to work, gone to work thinking when I finish tonight, home for D&D. Spent the whole week, uh, the whole day thinking about D&D, getting home. I'm like, right, what am I going to do about D? You don't switch off. And that's the problem. The burnout comes from not being able to switch off. And that's something that, because I DM as well, I'm constantly running ideas in my head. I find it hard to switch off sometimes, and that's what burns me out. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Have you ever suffered, Ryan, from any type of burnout? Mm, not as a player, no. Um, although I'd be a first-time DM, I, I find, as I say, with the uh, character sheets on Roll Twenty, I find them really tedious, and I don't, I don't like tedious. So um, that, for example, I have um, sitting down to write anything is when I, I really, I need to. I have all these ideas in my head, but actually getting it down on paper is, is where I sometimes don't don't always go very well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the same with me as well. I was um, sat at work the other day. Um, I, I decided to to press on with my current campaign. Um, thankfully, um, I got out got myself out my bit my my bit of a funk that I was in, and. Suddenly, I, I was listening to an audiobook. Um, so I do that at work, just A, for inspiration, and B, because it passes the time. Um, and I was thinking, hang on, this would make a really good D&D adventure. <laughs> so I'm adapting this modern-day fantasy novel that I was listening to into a D&D high magic fantasy um, adventure, just because I was thinking, hang on, that's a really good concept. I'm going to take that bit, and, and the ideas just came flooding. So my burnout, just from listening to this book and deciding, no, I'm sure the inspiration will come, my DM burnout hasn't gone away because I'm still thinking, like, so once we've done this bit of a storyline, what am I going to do next? But I'll get to that when I get to it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah. Um. I, I think finding inspiration to get over your DM burnout in any and all areas that you can, like this novel I was listening to, like, I don't know, I've, I've heard people create their DMD campaigns in Minecraft to try and give themselves inspiration. Um, I, I think that's that's a really good way of getting over your, your DM burnout is to find inspiration all over the place. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you pointed out, Ryan, over um, you find Roll20 character generation tedious is that Roll20 is just one medium by which you can deliver it. Yeah, and actually, if you're going theatre of the mind, you don't even need Roll20. Um, and the other thing is, is obviously recently D&D &D Beyond have started uh, an API script 
that allows you to roll your D&D character sheets directly into Roll20. Um, and that works. It's, it's a brilliant little bit of kit. So again, if your players uh, install that, I think it's on Chrome, which is the preferred browser. Um, if they install that, you don't need to create their characters in Roll20 other than for a token. Yeah. Uh, just for information, that's called, uh, is it Beyond20? Yeah, I believe it is beyond twenty. Yeah, yeah. If I can find a link for it, I'll put it in the show notes for the the episode. If I remember, somebody remind me. Yeah, but um, in terms of D and D burnout, yeah, it's exactly the same as you, Dave. I was running a homebrew campaign as well as a written campaign as well as playing twice a week. So that's four sessions a week, and they were weekly, um, and and very quickly. I it burnt out. Um, I felt bad for the players because obviously they were invested in it. Um, that was my Storm King's Thunder that fell by the wayside and then um, Horde of the Dragon Queen done exactly the same. Both stuff that I'm re- I was really excited to do, but I just I just couldn't keep it going. I had to I had to find that balance and as you say, sometimes you just can't do anything about it. When you first discover games like this um, and just games in general, all you want to do is play them. And you're looking for any and all opportunities you can to get at a table or get in front of a screen to, to play this, this you know, in this hobby that we've all come to, to find ourselves in. And sometimes the, the, the phrase too much of a good thing is absolutely relevant for this, for this hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We're, we're getting out to get that trademark, you know. We are. We are going to, have to trademark the word, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think so. <laughs> right. So um, that's player burnout, DM burnout covered. Um, I think, Dave, we're at the point where we could move on to our first audience question. We can. Uh, th- so I had an email from Andrew Poole who, um, a bit of a segue, I'm sure he won't mind me plugging him. He's a really talented colorist for comic books. Um, he, he is on Twitter. Um, I think it's Andy Poole uh, is, is his handle on Twitter. Um, he's really talented. So before, before I get into his question, go check him out. He's really, a really talented artist as well, and he's a really good writer. Um, yeah. So he sent me a question. Uh, on the emails and it goes as follows hi Dougie and Dave long time listener first time caller um, he's also really cheesy so you know yes. <laughs> I'm sure he'll hate me saying that um, my question to you is in regards to the party derailing a session or campaign how do you as DMs prepare for players going off the intended route you provided for example do you offer enough freedom to allow the players to follow their own whims in hopes that they will pick up the hooks again? Or do you have strict means and techniques to keep them on track? Thanks, Mr. Andrew Poole, somewhere in Wales. That's a really good question. Now, we touched lightly on this last episode. Yeah, we did. Um, I think the first thing to point out is it doesn't necessarily have to be the players 
derailing a campaign because nope. actually DMs can do it exactly the same, My especially if they've had too many desperados and they throw a deck of many things into a campaign where it shouldn't probably have been inserted. A uh, eh, Dave? Yeah. Okay, so the story behind that is I've tried to run out of the abyss before this current group. And they were level three, I think. Uh, level three, level four, something like that. Level four. four. And I, I had a, I, I had a very small drink. Um, I was very civilized. And <laughs> no, it wasn't. I had a fair bit to drink. Don't try and run. Don't try and run D and D when you're drunk. It doesn't work. Um, unless that's the type of game you're going for. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give my players a deck of many things to see what's the worst that can happen. Oh, they pulled all the bad cards. All the cards that can derail a campaign in that deck, they pulled. Somebody As players, pulled... we pulled all the best cards from the campaign. Yeah, you had... For Dave, they were the worst. Somebody lost their soul uh, and was trapped in an object. Um, so they were out of the Don game. Don Johns. Yep. Yep. Uh, somebody pulled the moon card uh, and rolled a three on their D3, so they had three wishes. Um, what, what other cards were pulled? Oh, somebody had uh, somebody uh, summoned a devil and had to fight them. Um, and then someone helped them, so there was two devils. Yep. Um, so that, that game didn't last many sessions. Oh, and somebody gained 50,000 XP. Yeah, they jumped. No, in fact, we were level five. And yes. They jumped to level nine. Yep. So don't take a leaf out of my book and don't give a deck of many things until they're ready. As a side note, my current done that again. <laughs> my current out of the abyss game has now had a deck of many things added into it. But in all fairness, you guys seem to be taking it a bit more seriously this time. Yeah, but um, going back to um, Andy's actual question, um, me as a DM, um, I like to give the players um, artistic flair to almost drive their own adventure somehow without um, without making them feel railroaded too much. And if they do go off on a tangent, I'll allow that. Um but there's only so far I'll allow it to go uh, before they ever come out of the story completely or it takes too long. And Because the issue is if they, if they go too far for too long, they'll expect experience for that, they'll expect rewards for that. And if it's a pre-published campaign where the levels are defined on certain points, they're going to go, well, I've done all this stuff. Why aren't I leveling up? Well, you've decided yeah. to go outside the book. So th there and needs to be that fine limit. Yeah. You as a DM then have to uh, adjust your NPCs to uh, to meet the challenge. So as a new DM, Ryan, how would you deal with that? Ooh, I, I'll be honest, I don't know. That's the bit I'm uh, worried about. Is uh, I think what you said in the uh, the last episode is is giving them the option, the the so called option that actually it always leads back to where you need it to. Yeah. I think that's that's the key. So I'm a big believer in the illusion of choice in D. Yes. You can you can play in as a sandboxy game <clears throat> excuse me as you can. I can let my players think, for example, Traveller. The campaign I'm running now is the Pirates of Drinex campaign. Both Dougie and Ryan are 
players in that campaign. So I'm not going to give too many spoilers. It is advertised and marketed and presented as a sandbox campaign where you you guys have your own ship and can travel about the Trojan Reach sector of the um, of Traveller Space and do whatever you want. That's potentially hundreds of planets you could visit and do whatever you want. That's um, a lot. Yeah. However, I have in my notes certain things that can happen on a desert planet, certain things that happen on an industrial-type planet, certain things that happen on a water-based planet or an Earth-like planet or an asteroid belt. And no matter what planet you go to of that type, this thing's going to happen. So you could have chosen to go to planet XYZ, which is a high industrial planet that's going to have loads of mining and, um, I don't know, manufacturing and all that. And this certain adventure I planned that could have been on another planet is going to happen here. And that, to me, is the illusion of choice, the illusion yeah. of sandbox. Because I think... A- Go ahead. Yeah, I think a good, uh, sorry, um, a good uh, thing I've been thinking about as well, mainly when I was doing my homebrew, is if there's an NPC that they need to meet at this particular location, they don't go to that location, throw them elsewhere. Absolutely. That That's that's what I said uh, last week. Um, going back to that one shot that we played in, um, I advised the DM when he was telling me that you guys didn't go, you need to go here so you can talk to this person. Okay, so that's that's the mayor of that town making the baker of that town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another thing I, uh, I'm i going to try and do is if you need them, your players to pass or to fail a specific check for whatever reason, you know, or make a perception check, but you, you need them to fail it for the, for the reasons of, of the campaign. So you set the DC at 18, for yeah. example, or 19. Yeah, that was one mistake I made with my Out of the Abyss campaign, going into uh, coming out of Lost Minds of Fandelva into Out of the Abyss. Um, I just had, you know, the, the the players feel a sting in their neck and then pass unconscious. So basically, they've been hit by a, a drow's poison dart or whatever. I was told by my players afterwards, or, or I was advised by my players afterwards that that felt very railroaded. Completely agree. I just needed to get them into this this situation where they were locked up in the Underdark. On hindsight, or in hindsight, or with hindsight, whatever the, the verb is there, um, I listened to the advice of my players, and if I was going to do that again, I would say, okay, make a constitution saving throw. Yeah, the DC is like 3,000. You're not going to roll that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't say what the DC was, but I'd at least give them the opportunity to try so they'd feel like they had more, you know, more input. And that's what yeah. we asked of. Yeah, the um, the Ghost of Salt Marsh campaign. The, the way I'm introducing it, um, without giving too much away, I need you to get captured, but I don't want I don't want to just say right you, you've you've been captured. So I'm working it in such a way that even if you don't, you're still dragged into this campaign. Yeah, I mean the way Out of the Abyss is supposed to start is you start off locked in that prison. It's a level one to I think maybe thirteen campaign. It is, yep. Um, So you start off at level one, and the first line of the blurb, or not the blurb, the the spiel that the DM goes through to set the scene is, captured by the drow. You wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy. So immediately, bam, you are prisoners. There's no quarrels. There's nothing like, but we weren't last week. You didn't play last week. You start as 
yeah. prisoners. Um, you have no equipment. You have no clothes. You're in rags. You're probably exhausted through malnutrition. It puts you in a really bad situation, to be honest. So, yeah. I, I mean, I hope that answers Andy's question. Um, if it doesn't, he's going to tell us anyway. Yeah, he'll tell us on Discord anyway. <laughs> um, so, he, he said, do you, do you offer freedom to allow the players to follow their own whims? Yes, I do. But, to an extent. but no, I don't. I think giving, personally as a DM, giving the players too much freedom is really dangerous. Because your campaign won't go anywhere, and they'll spend in in terms of traveler, they'll spend months on end going from one planet to another, just trading, trying to earn money to upgrade the ship, and it becomes then a, a trading and commerce game instead of a you know a pirates game or whatever. But that's where session zeros come in, and you set the you set the the rules, the expectations, and. Um, you agree the standards between the DM and the players right from the start. Yeah. I think if the, the story is told well enough as well, that generally it, it they tend to just, just follow the story anyway because it's, it's told so well. They want to go, oh, I want to know what happens next. I want to know how to get out of this dungeon. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So I hope that answered your question, Andy. Um... It's been a bit of a shorter episode this week. Has anybody else got anything they'd like to add? Yeah. I mean, we were just talking earlier on about levels and um, certain achievements and stuff. What are your thoughts, Dave, on uh, XP versus Milestone? Milestone, all the way. I, I find it really... Or I'm running out of the abyss now as XP. Uh, you guys are level six, almost seven now. Or are you seven now? Six, we are at the moment. Six, six seven. almost seven. Um, you are technically slightly under-leveled for where you currently are, so I'm having to homebrew a few sessions um, to get you up to the level to continue the Out of the Abyss story. If I'd have done it milestone, you guys would probably still be in the Underdark, um and you would just be getting to the right level i think now um so i think milestone is great because it set, it, it almost adds uh, a much more um regulated pace to the game instead of creating murder hobos to go out and kill everything just to get the no, the I, I agree with you um to an extent um especially when you're you're in a pre-written campaign where most of the uh, mobs, the encounters, and the enemies are defined and based on that level. Um, but if you start homebrewing or you're running your own campaign um, or even if you're doing something completely different, like we mentioned last week, like a, uh, a salt marsh adventure or something like that, um, then XP is so much more suited to that. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's down to you as a DM. If you've got the flexibility to adjust monsters on the fly, um, and to change stats comfortably, um, go for the XP because actually you can deal with level changes in the middle of a session. If you're not and you're a new time or an early DM or you just prefer the published modules, Milestone works absolutely fine for that. I think another good trick going back to um, how to um, not railroad but railroad at the same time is um, 
they they've defeated this creature, but well, actually, they haven't defeated this creature. You know, just kind of kind of snuff it a bit, add a little bit more HP, sort of thing. Second forms, <laughs> that sort of thing, or drow priest like more, into a rider. More people turn up to to back him up. Yeah, I do that, I do that all the time. Like if I've got a big bad, a big bad that you guys are facing, and you you're you're really overpowering, like. Oh, he's got 50 HP. No, he's still got 50 <laughs> HP. You might have already done like 300 damage to him, but he's still got 50 HP left. Yeah. I mean, one of one of the big questions I see a lot in um, the, the face groups I'm on is asking um, what sort of enemy team I should put against a party of X players who are level X in order to make it challenging. And almost every time when they throw an example in, they throw one big bad and the players, a lot of DMs like DMing, but don't really understand action economy. That's what makes things lethal. It's utilizing or making players waste actions when they wouldn't need to or drain them before they come to the big bad. Um, and that that's what it's all about. If you can start using them abilities up, um, they don't have the healing anymore. They haven't got the spells. They've used their action surges. Then they come against the big boss without having a chance to rest. That's when it's going to turn lethal. That's the main thing I struggle with is like, where would they have had a rest so that they're back to full HP? And then I also think that Dougie's is in my campaign. So as long as he's not playing a ranger, I don't need to put the HP up like 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> Colors Deer is not in your campaign, Ryan. Do not worry. No, no thank God. My my go-to thing in terms of rests and things is it, it's a strict eight-hour thing. You know, if your players have just woken up from a long rest, then they go and go and um, you know they go and have this big battle, and, and it's only lasted what ten minutes, and, they, and then they rest. go and then they go. Uh, we've got no spell slots left. Can we please have some uh, a long rest again? Sorry. No, you can't because, <laughs> you know, you, you, you've got to go eight hours before you can have a... I think with Ghost of Soulmarsh, I'm finding it easier because the, the first few sessions will be will be land-based, but a lot of it is going to be... You're going to be spending three, four days on a ship at a time. So, you know, when they get to their destination, they are going to be full health. Yeah. Unless the Kraken decides to come up and eat the ship. Interesting idea, Dave. Thank you for that. <laughs> or the I'm, Megalodon. The Megalodon. Yeah, I nearly put you guys against a kraken a few weeks ago, but I thought no, that's really, that's really, that's me. No, just was that killing. when we had the giant octopuses instead? Yeah, and they got battered as well. Yeah, but the, the <laughs> kraken, the kraken would have done, would have killed you all easy. Hundred percent. Colors deer would have been interested to try that theory. <laughs> well, okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> He's gone now. Yeah. It, okay, so in terms of, like you said, um, people asking about, um, you know, can you please help me put together a team of baddies that can go against this party? Um, I just want to, like, reiterate, we're not sponsored or anything by anyone yet. We're far too small to be sponsored by anyone like D&D Beyond. However, my go-to tool for creating encounters is D&D Beyond. Their encounter builder, to me, in my opinion, is the best that I've seen. Because you can import... If you created your campaign on D&D Beyond, like I have... You've got all your characters in there, and you click to create an encounter. It uses the player information from those character sheets 
to work out the, the the challenge rating and whether it's you know um, easy, medium, hard, deadly, or whatever, um, depending on what monsters. And it then also calculates what XP they should get should they complete that encounter. Yeah, I um, I go to Don John's Encounter Builder yeah. as my go-to oh, site. You can also use it as well as an as an initiative tracker because when you click the Run Encounter button, it then tells you to to type in what initiative you guys have rolled, um, and then click, and it also do a turn counter and a, and a, a round counter. Uh, does the initiative order? It's really really useful tool. And that's what we said, isn't it? We don't think it's going to be much longer before their own tabletop is created as part of a D&D and d Beyond suite. Yeah. I I would be very surprised, and I would bet a lot of money on the fact that I'm sure that conversation has to have been had in-house at D&D Beyond. It's got to, have, got to have been done. Yeah. It's got to. Or to maybe talk about partnering up with someone like Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or something like that. Probably Fantasy Grounds would be their go-to. Yeah, I think so. Because of how incorporated into D&D Fantasy Grounds is. Yep. And actually, visually, Fantasy, Fantasy Grounds is stunning. Yes. Yeah. It's just a, it's got a massive learning curve to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all these systems have. I mean, they say Roll20 is easy to use, intuitive. They've got their character mancers. And yes, that's made the job easy. But I also, as I've mentioned before, if you don't know the basic building box of your character in the first place, character mancers don't overly help. No. Um, but just in terms of graphics, visual, and overall effects, um, Fancy Grounds with the weather and everything is just beautiful. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, it is. Astral is one to look out for as well. If they can get their character sheets on a similar line as Fantasy Grounds and Roll20, Astral is going to become a major competitor. I've never heard of uh, Fantasy Grounds or Astral. I'll uh, have to check those out. Fantasy Grounds isn't free. If you want a DM, you've right. got to have a DM's license on it, which can be okay. quite costly. Um, I think then you can use the free trial version as a player to play in a DM's game. Right. You can. I, okay. I haven't used it for a long time, and I think there's a, a new version of it out now. I can't remember what it's called. It might be Unity or something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah. But I know a lot of people are also going over to Tabletop Simulator as well. Yeah. I had a mess with that when I had a, a VR headset. And I thought, that'd be really cool to play D&D in a VR headset in a virtual world where you can have like physical moving characters on the on your screen. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think in the next, yeah, I think for the next sort of couple of years in a, on the um, RPG Tabletop Scenario... I think there'll be some um, real big competitors to Roll20's dominance. And let's face it, Roll20 dominates at the minute. Yeah, really absolutely. Does. That's why I said it. That's why I said it. Absolutely, it, it does. You, you can do as much free as you can as a, a player as you can to pay. And, and I think that's what's key for them is that if you want to play, even if, if you want to DM, and I'm a free member of Roll20. I yeah. haven't subscribed to them. And I can, I can run what I think some, some great campaigns on there. Yeah. I mean, th there are things stuck behind a paywall, like your dynamic lighting and things like that. And, you you and, can oh, simulate that with... Um, fog of War. Fog of War. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to leave it off now. I think we've had a good chat. Thank you very much, Ryan, 
for thank you for coming on. It's been nice. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Ryan. Thank you for having me. And good luck with your Ghost of Saltmarsh. I'm really excited to play that. I think I've decided I'm going to play a paladin. Oh, that'd be interesting. And I don't have think I'm going to go over Vengeance. I don't think I'm going to go over Vengeance. Have you set a timeline on when you want to run your one shot? Because I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, um, as I say, I've only got an hour, uh, one and a bit character sheets left to do. Once I've done that, we'll uh, we'll get something sorted. Fantastic. So you want to ready to go tomorrow then, just so it doesn't mean I, I have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll send all my details over. You can run my one shot. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yay, thank you. DM burnout. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much to everyone for listening again. And thank you to Andy for our first question. If you do have any questions, feel free to contact us in all the usual places, which is email, which is uh, dungeondrift at gmail.com. Facebook, which is facebook.com slash dungeondrift. I'm tempted to put an Instagram and Twitter together, but I don't think we've got enough for that yet. No, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Um, other than that, I can't think of anything else to say. No, me either. So, uh, from me, Dave, thank you and goodbye. Yeah, and from me, thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. See you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>